open your Bibles, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And the passage of Scripture that we're going to study today should be familiar to all the members of Berean Baptist Church because this is one of four texts of Scripture that we read during our Lord's Supper celebration. The others are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is the fourth one in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so at least three times each year, you'll hear me read from this text as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now today, or tonight, is not our week that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We usually do that on the first Sunday night of every month, and we don't do that uh, tonight. But I think it's good for us to take a look at the Lord's Supper away from the context of actually taking it, And we can use these scriptures today that I can show you why we take the supper, what it's all about, and what it means in the life of our church. Now, even if you're not a member of Berean Baptist Church, you probably have some idea of what the Lord's Supper is all about. The Roman Catholics, for instance, have seven sacraments that begin all the way when a child is first born. They baptize infants and then all the way up to the end of a person's life where they give them the last rites, they practice those seven sacraments. But here in the Baptist church, we don't have sacraments. We only have two ordinances, and we believe that this is what Christ has given to the church. He's only commanded two ordinances, and that is baptism of believers and the participation of the Lord's Supper. Some people call the Lord's Supper other things, for instance, Roman Catholics call it the Eucharist, and I'm going to deal with that term in a little bit more in just a few minutes. But we call it the Lord's Supper, and uh, the other names for it aren't necessarily wrong, but that's what we use in our church. Today I'm going to speak to you on the subject, eating at the Lord's table. Now, most of you are very much aware, if you've been through this uh, study of 1 Corinthians with us, that here was a church that had many problems. They were beset with problems. And today we're going to discuss another one of the big problems that the Corinthians had, and that was they were not celebrating the Lord's Supper in the right way. So we're going to talk about that today in today's message. We'll begin reading this morning with verse number 17 of chapter 11, and we're going to study all the way down to verse number 34, but we'll stop reading in this first section at verse 22, then we'll pick up the rest as we go along. So stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. We want to look first at... Verse number 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 17 says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. Now there in that verse, Paul marks out the seriousness of what's going on in this Corinthian church concerning the Lord's Supper. And actually what he's saying is if you're going to take the Lord's Supper this way, it would be better for you not even to gather together. Don't even come together if you're going to do it this way. Verse 18, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. And that's almost a sarcastic statement because what he's saying, there, you need divisions in this church apparently because this is the only way you can point out that some of you are doing the right thing and some of you are doing the wrong thing. Verse 20, when you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You think that you're observing the supper, but if you do it this way, you are not because this is not what the Lord intended. For in eating... Everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? 
Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we ask you to bless the reading of your word. Help us to understand what the Apostle Paul has so clearly laid out for us today concerning the observance of the Lord's Supper. Help us to see, Lord, what this represents, how we're truly supposed to do this, and what is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just what is it that's the problem with this Corinthian church when it comes to the Lord's Supper? Well, before we actually get a little bit deeper into the real reasons that Paul is writing this, I do want to remind you once again that the Lord has only given us two ordinances for the church. These are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And by virtue of the fact that we've only been given two ordinances, that ought to tell us that these are very important. And we don't have the right to change what's written in the Word of God concerning these two practices that God has given us. Now, it was serious enough, what was going on in Corinth was serious enough that Paul stopped here, and among all the other problems that were taking place in this church, he thought that that was important enough to stop here and point this out, not to just let it go and hope they got this thing right later, but he points out what they're doing wrong. Now, there are lots of things happening in this church. Uh, Many things caused them great difficulty, but there was not one thing that they did in the Corinthian church that was as serious and had as as serious repercussions of this problem right here of celebrating the Lord's Supper in the wrong way. Now, let's notice first today the desecration of the Supper. Because this is what was going on in Corinth. Paul begins here by saying, you are so wrong about this that it would be better for you not even to come together and meet together if you're going to practice the Lord's Supper in this way. I don't suppose that you've ever heard me say when I'm preaching in this pulpit, it would be better if you didn't come to church. Most of the time, or much of the time, I spend... uh, preaching time, and I spend personal time encouraging Christians to come to church because so many people don't want to come to church. But I promise you that if we had the problem that they had in the Corinthian church, I would get up here and I would say, it would be better for you not to come to church on this night because we're going to make a mockery of the Lord's table. What is so wrong here? What is so seriously wrong with what they did? Well, let me point out first today that they had no communion among the members. And I mean that they had real no fellowship among the people. They took the supper, but there's no fellowship here. Now, sometimes people do call the Lord's Supper communion. And if you'll look back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, just back up a chapter. Here Paul says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And so we see there that the word communion is used. And sometimes we call the Lord's Supper communion. But I want you to understand something up up front. I mean, this is very important for you to see that when we speak of the Lord's Supper and communion, it is not primarily talking about communion between the members of the church. This is communion with the Lord. And so this is not a time for us to get together and swig down a few with old friends and have a party and have a good time because what we're doing is having communion with the Lord. So we fellowship with the Lord first of all, and the meaning is that we commemorate the body of Christ that was broken for us, and we commemorate the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. So that is the primary meaning 
that we deal with our communion with the Lord. But there is a secondary sense in which we have communion with one another. We do have fellowship with each other as we come together at the Lord's table. Now, here in Corinth, there was division in the church. There were factions in the church. So that there were some people who said, well, we are following God more closely than you are following him. We're better Christians than you are. Look to us. We're better. God is blessing us more than you, than he's blessing you. So we are better Christians. Well, the Lord's Supper is supposed to be a unifying moment for the church. It's not to be a time of disunity. And so consequently in this church, they had no communion. One thing we need to understand when we come to church is that this building that we have right here, this is not the church. And we often talk about going to church and we think about coming into the building, but the building is not the church. The building is the, or the church is the people. It's those of us who have covenanted together to carry out the commands of Christ in this particular place, and we constitute the church. Well, when Jesus first instituted the Lord's Supper, it was combined with the observance of Passover. Now, what the early Christians would do, they wouldn't always meet in a building like we have today. They would meet in people's houses, or they would meet in other places where a crowd could gather, and and then they would carry on their worship services. So that was the church coming together. Well, when Jesus instituted this supper among his disciples, those 12 disciples gathered together. That was the church. That was the beginning of the church. And as they practiced or had the Passover, they had a meal. I mean, Passover was actually a meal that they partook of. Now, we're going to talk about Passover in in just a few minutes, but they did things differently in the first century. When they came together, what they would do is they would have a meal with one another. Sometimes that was called a love feast. Now, here at Berean, we have a lot of love feast. And I promise you that this church eats together more than any church that I've ever been a member of. We have lots of love feast here. But one of the things that we do is we have a potluck dinner. Letha arranges these things for us, and we have a potluck dinner, and everybody comes together, and you bring a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You get in the line, and you take your paper plate, and you fill that paper plate up. Some of you have to put sideboards on there to hold all of the food. But we get together, and we eat together, and we just have a lot of fun. In the early church, this is what they did. They combined the Lord's Supper with a meal. So when they were done with that meal, they would begin to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So they'd bring out the bread, they'd bring out the grape juice, and they would drink that, and they would observe the Lord's Supper. And there isn't anything really wrong with that concept. The problem, though is that as they did it in Corinth, they became selfish. So they would begin to bring their food for this meal that they would have together. And what happened was that some of the people would arrive a little bit early, and they would start eating all the food. And then when the other people got there, there was no food left over. They weren't sharing it. They weren't having fellowship with one another. And so some people were left out. And, you know, it may have been like that here when we first started having our potlucks. Before we start announcing, you know, the elderly people, they get to go first. Calm down just a little bit, everybody. And they're pushing and shoving to get in line to see who's going to get there first and get the food. We could run out of food. Well, that's what they were doing in Corinth. But it didn't stop there because they also turned the Lord's Supper into a drunken feast. They weren't content just to bring the good, sweet grape juice for them to observe the Lord's Supper. They started bringing the hard stuff. And so the people were drinking that, and they were drinking too much, and they got drunk, and they turned the Lord's Supper into a drunken party. And so they took this thing that should have been good, wholesome fellowship, 
and they turn that into a brawl. And so that's why Paul says, if you think that that's celebrating the Lord's Supper, you are completely wrong. And it'd be better for you not even to come to church if that's the way that you're going to do it. So Paul starts out with some very harsh words. There's no communion among the people. There's no fellowship here when you take the Lord's Supper. But that's not all. Because here, what's even more important, I think, than that is, secondly, they had no comprehension of the memorial. They had no idea what they were doing here. They didn't understand the supper. They completely lost the meaning of it. Now, what do we call this supper? Well, we just said a moment ago that sometimes we call it communion, and we learn that from uh, chapter 10, verse number 16. But sometimes people will call this the Eucharist. Take a peek down there at verse number 24, if you would, and... Paul is talking here about Jesus giving the supper, and he says in the first part of the verse, and when he had given thanks, the word thanks there is from the Greek word eucharisto, and that's where you get eucharist. That means to express gratitude. It means to give thanks. So sometimes people call the supper the Eucharist. But folks, it doesn't matter what you call it. You have to have the meaning right. You need to understand what it's all about, and they lost the meaning. They're selfish, they're getting drunk, they desecrated the supper, they had turned this thing, one of the most holy things that we do in church, into a terrible experience. Now, did you know that it's still possible for you to desecrate the Lord's Supper? We don't get drunk, of course, because we, don't, we use grape juice. I mean, I don't know how much you'd have to drink grape juice to, to get drunk. I don't think you could, could you? So we're not worried about getting drunk in the church. That's not going to happen here. We don't even have a regular meal in conjunction with the Lord's Supper. And in fact, churches stopped doing that a long time ago because of the potential of abuse, just like what happened in Corinth. Here at Berean, I don't even want us to have a a church fellowship after, after the services are over and after we've taken communion. I don't want to have anything to do with food during that particular time. And the reason that I don't is because I don't want people to think that that's what it's all about, that we come together to have food I want people to understand the very solemn observance of the Lord's Supper. But how can you desecrate the Supper? Well, you do it when you enter into it with either one or two of these errors. You don't have a sense of community when you take it, and you don't understand the elements, meaning that you don't understand what this bread that we take and what the cup that we drink truly represent. Now, I need to pause here for just a moment because I want to tell you about a very serious error concerning the understanding of the bread and the cup that we take in the Lord's Supper. In the Roman Catholic Mass, they do not believe that the bread and the cup represent anything. In fact, they believe that it is the real thing. They believe that the priest has the ability to change that bread into the literal body of Jesus Christ and to change that blood into the literal blood of Jesus Christ. So when they're taking the supper, they are actually eating the flesh of Jesus and actually eating his blood. That's what you call transubstantiation. Now, I would tell you this, that rather than being honorable to the blood of Jesus Christ, that is the most blasphemous thing that you could ever hope to do. Because in the Roman Catholic Mass, they crucified Jesus all over again. Every time that they take the Mass, they crucify the Son of God by taking his bread, or taking his body, rather, and by taking his blood, what they believe that that is. That's crucifying him again. And that is dishonoring when the Bible says that Christ was offered for our sins once for all. 
His blood and body never have to be given again. It's done once for all. Now, when I became pastor of the church here, I noticed that there were some things that we did wrong with the Lord's Supper. Now, I think it was a serious thing, although I don't think it was as blasphemous as what the Roman Catholics do. But there were some parents that when the bread and the cup were passed, that they would take some of that bread and they'd take one of those cups and they would give it to their little children. Now, I know that you love your kids and you want to share with your kids, but this is not your prerogative. This is the Lord's Supper. And in fact, no one who has not made a personal confession of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and has trusted him as Lord and Savior, and no one who has not been baptized can be a partaker of the Lord's Supper because that's part of the requirements. So here we have the problem at Corinth. They desecrated the supper. But now we need to go on to this next section, which begins at verse number 23. They have this huge problem that we just discussed. But when you come to verse number 23, this is just like finding a diamond in that big, deep mud hole that we just talked about. Look at verse 23. Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, and there's that word, Eucharisto, thanks, he break it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. In the first part, we see the desecration of the Lord's Supper. But now he goes on to something that's very beautiful. This is really a gem because in the second part, he talks about the explanation of the supper. This is where Paul goes on to explain just what the Lord's Supper is all about. Notice verse number 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Where did Paul get this information? I mean, did did he have a commentary and he read a commentary on the scriptures and so he found out what the Lord's Supper is all about? Was he able to do that? Uh, Was he there when they had that first communion, when the apostles gathered together and had communion? Was he there? Well, no, because Paul wasn't even saved at that time. In fact, Paul couldn't even have read about this from the three gospel accounts that talk about the Lord's Supper because those gospel accounts hadn't even been written. Conservative scholars agree that 1 Corinthians was written before Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Some people think that these writers of the New Testament, the Gospels, that they followed Jesus around and they were with him and they took notes on everything that he did. And then when Jesus died, they compiled it all into their book. Well, that's not true because those Gospels were written many, many years after Jesus died. And so many people believe that 1 Corinthians was actually written before the Gospels. And so that would tell us that Paul couldn't have gone to the Gospels to learn this So what we have here is actually the very earliest writing concerning the Lord's Supper. And the place that Paul got his information was Jesus Christ himself. The risen Lord revealed this to Paul. Now, we see in these verses an explanation of the Supper. The Lord's Supper actually accomplishes three things. First, it is a reflection of the past. The Lord's Supper is a look back to the observance of the Passover, first of all. 
Now, before Jesus was crucified, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And we don't have time to go into all that today, but I, I do want to remind you just a little bit of it, that Passover was actually a celebration from the, uh, of the, or an observance of the freedom from the bondage in Egypt way back when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. And you remember the story there, how that Pharaoh uh, would not let God's people go. And so God sent nine plagues on Egypt in order for Pharaoh to let the people go. But after nine plagues, he wouldn't do that. And so God said, I'm going to send one more plague. And God sent the plague of the death angel. He said that the firstborn in all the land of Egypt would die. Well, Moses told them how they could escape the plague of the death angel. He said, what you need to do is you need to kill a lamb and take that blood, spread it on the doorpost and the lintel of your houses, and then you enter in under the blood into the house. And they would go into the house and they would roast that lamb and they would roast it with bitter herbs and they would eat the lamb with unleavened bread. The reason that they ate it with bitter herbs was because that was to remind them of the affliction that they had in Egypt. And the reason that they ate unleavened bread That was a memorial that God was going to let the people go, and so they didn't have time to even let the bread dough rise. And so they ate the bread before the bread dough even would rise, and because they had to hurry to get out of Egypt because God was leading them out. So they celebrated that. They they, they celebrated Passover year after year through all the history of Judaism. So on this particular night, when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, they were celebrating the Passover, and in that celebration... Jesus gave them the true meaning of what that was all about. Now, do you know what it means? Well, listen to this verse that we read a few weeks ago in in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul said, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are leaven. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And so that innocent little lamb that was killed and it's blood that was taken and smeared all over the doors of their houses, that blood represented the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would be sacrificed for our sins. And when they spread that blood over that doorpost, and when they walked into the house under that blood, that symbolized that when you come into Jesus Christ, that you're protected from the wrath of God. The punishment for your sins has been taken, And so when you trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then he takes all of your sin away and you will not suffer the wrath of God in hell. And so the Lord's Supper is taken to remember and to reflect upon the death of Jesus. Now, most of us really don't like to think about death. Death, we try to put as far as we can from our minds. When a loved one dies, we don't like to think about their death. We like to think about their life, and we want to think about all the good things that they did in their life. But when Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper, it was not to remember his life. I mean, that was a good thing. He, He lived a perfect life. But we don't remember Christ's life in the supper. We remember Christ's death, because his death is what it took for us to be forgiven of our sins. So he wants us to reflect on that death, because unless the blood of Jesus Christ had been shed on the cross of Calvary, there would be no salvation for any person, and there would be no protection from the wrath of God. Now, every person in this room today, you need to know this. You need to remember his death. Some of you who are members of Berean Baptist Church, you don't even bother to come on the Sunday night that we have the Lord's Supper. We're here to observe the Lord's death, to remember his death, and that's commanded. 
Jesus said, reflect on the past. Now, when we come together and we take that cup and when we eat that bread, we remember the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us, sacrificed for us. And when we take that cup, we remember the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And that means that unless the blood of Jesus Christ was shed on the cross, no one could ever be forgiven of their sins. Now, that's what you need to be forgiven. And the question for everybody here today is, are you under the blood? Do you realize what Christ has done? Have you trusted him? And if you have trusted him, then what you ought to do is exactly what the Scripture says. Remember his death. That's a command from Scripture. So today, we celebrate the supper as a reflection of the past. We don't celebrate as a reflection on Passover, but on what Passover means, which was the death of Jesus Christ. So we take the bread to remember his body, we take the cup to remember his blood, and that's a reflection of the past. But that's not all that it is, because there's something else that's accomplished here. Secondly, it's a proclamation in the present. Look at verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, you might want to underline the word show there in your Bible because that comes from a word that means to proclaim. It actually means to preach. Seventeen times that word is used in the New Testament. It's translated variously as preach, declare, show, teach, speech. And so that tells us that every time that we take the Lord's Supper that we're actually proclaiming something. We are preaching a sermon. And that's why I say that the Lord's Supper is a preaching ordinance. In fact, the Lord's Supper does a better job of describing the Lord's death than I could ever do in any sermon that I could ever preach. This is the picture of what Christ has done. Now, somebody has said a picture is worth a thousand words. When you come to the picture of the Lord's Supper, that picture is worth ten thousands of words. We could never say anything more than what this supper says about about the Lord's death. Now, one of the things that we practice here in Berean Baptist Church is called closed communion. That means that we believe that the supper is given to the church and it's to be celebrated by the members of the individual church. I don't go to somebody else's church to take the Lord's Supper. I don't go there because I'm a member of Berean Baptist Church. And so I come here and this is where I partake of the Lord's Supper. So as a member of the church, this is the place for me. And if you're a member of a church somewhere else, that's the place for you. So this is what the Lord commands. So if the supper then, if it's only for the members of the church, then why don't we say this? Why don't we say, if you are not a member of Berean Baptist Church, you are not permitted to come to church on the night that we take the Lord's Supper? Why don't I say that? Well, the reason that I don't is because it's a preaching ordinance. What better way could I do anything to help describe what Jesus Christ did for our sins to a person who doesn't know him than for them to observe the Lord's Supper? We are commemorating his death here, and it's a proclamation in the present of what Christ has done. So the Lord's Supper is a proclamation in the present. And so we present the gospel to people that are on their way to hell, dying right now and going to hell. Understand something, this supper doesn't save anybody. You don't take the Lord's Supper in order to get saved. It's a picture of what does save, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember the Lord's death, and we proclaim what Jesus did on the cross. But then there's a third accomplishment in the supper, and number three is expectation of the future. Expectation of the future. 
Now, now let me encourage you something with something. When you come to the Lord's Supper celebration, please do not come like you're coming to an autopsy. The Lord's Supper is not an autopsy. And I'm not coming to the Lord's Supper because I'm so sorrowful over the death of Jesus. I don't sorrow over his death. I come to the Lord's Supper with eager anticipation. And why is that? Because of what Paul says right here in the last part of verse 26. Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. The glorious expectation of this is that Jesus is coming back. Oh yes, Jesus died, but Jesus is not in the tomb. And when he came out of the tomb, he made a promise. He said, I am coming back. And so Jesus told his disciples in Matthew, he said, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So every time that we take the Lord's Supper, that might be the last time that we take it. I hope that on April 13th, when we took the Lord's Supper last, I hope that was the last time that I take the Lord's Supper. Because I hope that the next time I take it, I'm in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm partaking of it with Jesus Christ up there. I look forward to that glorious anticipation. And every one of you here today, as a member of Brian Baptist Church, as a saved person, the last time you took the Lord's Supper may have been the last time that you take it on earth. You could die or Jesus could come back. Now, I hope the next time that I take it is when my faith ends in sight. So that is the explanation of the supper. It's a time of reflection on the past. It's a time of proclamation in the present and a time of expectation for the future. But now we come to this last section, and this contains some of the most solemn words in the Bible. Don't fall asleep before we finish up this last section. You need to listen to this very carefully. Verse number 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Here's the theme of this third section. It is the preparation for the supper. When you come to the Lord's Supper, you need to be ready for it. There's a preparation that needs to be made because if we don't prepare properly, the Bible very clearly tells us right here, there is severe judgment. Now, in Corinth, they desecrated the supper, and it didn't mean that they would have final separation from God, but it did mean that they would experience the chastisement of God in their lives at that time. Judgment of God fell upon some of these Corinthians because of what they did in the Lord's Supper. Now, do you see why taking the Lord's Supper is so important? If you take it wrongly, the Bible says you suffer condemnation. Last month, I was on, in Israel with a tour group to the Holy Land. And on the last day of our visit, we went to the garden tomb. Now, nobody knows if that's the actual place where Jesus was put when he was, when he was uh, crucified and then put in the tomb. They don't know if it's the actual place, but they call it that. It's the garden tomb. 
And so all the tourists go there. So one of the things that they were going to do after we visited the garden tomb is they set up a communion service. So we were going to have communion at the garden tomb. Well, the whole group came together, and they had the elements of the Lord's Supper prepared there. They had unleavened bread. And in this case, they brought out some wine. And uh, I, in all my entire life, I've never tasted alcohol. And I assure you, I'm not going to start with the Lord's Supper. So they came out and they brought these elements out. But you know what I did? I excused myself. I didn't take it with them. And you know why? Because I'm very much aware of this passage. To take the Lord's Supper wrongly is a condemning offense. The Bible teaches that the Lord's Supper is a church ordinance. And so there's not anybody who can say, well, I just think I'll get a bunch of people together and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You can't do that. You don't have the authority to change that. You don't have the authority to administer it to people that Christ does not invite to his table, first of all. And then secondly, you don't have the right to do it in a place that's not authorized to do it. So I stepped out. I said, I won't be a part of that because I was aware of these scriptures. So the Lord wants us to observe it in the right way. Now, there's two things that I want to know particularly about the preparation. The first one is there must be personal examination. Verses 27 and 28 say, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. I know some people who say, Christians who say, I can't take of the Lord's Supper because I'm too unworthy. I can't take the Lord's Supper because I'm unworthy. I assure you, nobody is worthy to take the Lord's Supper. I'm not worthy to sit at the Lord's table, and neither are you. But I'm made worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that's not even what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about whether you're worthy or unworthy in that way. He's talking about partaking of the supper in an unworthy manner. So he's talking here about looking into your heart and seeing if you have any unconfessed sin there. And if you're unwilling to confess the sin, the Bible says that judgment will come on you. And so if there's any relationship where you're harboring anger or or if you have bitterness towards another Christian, if there's any resentment, if there's an unforgiving spirit towards anyone in your church, and you take the Lord's Supper, you are taking it wrongly. You're saying... I'm coming to the Lord's table, and everything is all right between me and the Lord. There are no problems here. And if you come that way, you are being hypocritical. And it means that you're eating in an unworthy manner. And so that's why each time that we take the Lord's Supper, I always say, we're going to have a time of silent prayer so that we can confess our sins. And in that moment, that's what you're expected to do. That's what God expects. He expects you to, con- to confess your sins. And if you have an unforgiving spirit, if you have bitterness towards someone else, then right then you say, Lord, take that out of my heart. I don't want to eat in an unworthy manner. And so I say, let's do that because I don't want God's judgment to fall on you. So do it. You confess your sins. Now, sometimes I wonder if I actually give enough time in that silent prayer because I don't, some of you may have a whole list of sins you need to get rid of. I don't know. But I tell you, confess your sins because that's what God expects us to do. Now, here's the thing about it. It is wrong not to take the Lord's Supper. So you can't say as a Christian church member, I'm not going to take it because I have a sin here I haven't confessed. No, that'd be wrong. You have to confess that sin. And so if you don't take the Lord's Supper for whatever reason it is, because you just decided you're not going to show up, 
or because you have an unconfessed sin in your heart, that's wrong. That's a sin against God because this is commanded. So Paul tells the Corinthians, do this. He says, examine yourselves. You've been desecrating the supper. You're making a mockery of it, and you're eating in an unworthy manner. Now, listen to this, though. Because of that, he says, God's judgment has fallen on you. He says, some of you are sick. Did you know that God can cause sickness? Some people get sick because they haven't been obedient to the Lord. But he goes beyond this. He says, some of you are weakly and sickly, but then he goes a step further. He says, many of you sleep. And he doesn't mean that you fell asleep during the ceremony like some of you do during I want to preach in a sermon. He's not talking about that. He means some of you died. Many of you sleep. Now, in the Bible, when the Bible talks about sleep for a Christian, it's referring to death. Do you remember when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus before, actually before he went there, he told the disciples, he said, our, our brother, our friend Lazarus sleeps. And the disciples thought, well, he means that he just fell asleep like you fall asleep. But Jesus said, told them plainly, no, no, I mean, he's dead. And so he went to the tomb of Lazarus. In Acts, when Stephen was stoned, they stoned him to death. And the Bible says that he fell asleep. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about people who have died in the Lord, Christians that are waiting the resurrection, and the Bible says they fell asleep. They are asleep. And so in this passage, when Paul says, some of you sleep, he means some of you died because of this. You see how serious this is? I mean, this is, this is serious stuff we're talking about here. Because of your abuse, you have died. And you know, that is the ultimate chastisement for a Christian. You can't get any worse than that. So when it comes to the supper, I'm very careful about what we do because it's serious business. Well, this is a good question, isn't it? Does God sometimes bring premature death upon Christians? Well, go back to the book of Acts, chapter 5. There were two people by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, and I believe that they were Christians, but they, were, they died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that they were Christians because there weren't too many people in those days that made false professions of Christianity. And that's because you could be put to death for calling yourself a Christian. So they're most likely, they're Christians, and they died because of their sin. Now, Christian people need to be very careful about this because God will give you warning after warning. But if you are persistent and you resist the influences of the Holy Spirit upon your heart to confess your sins, and you go on in that persistent sin... God may just take you out. You may check out of this world. You need to be careful about that. You see, death is really not so bad for a Christian. We all know that. I mean, when you, when you get saved and you know the Lord and you know you're going to heaven, dying is not such a terrible thing. But when you're taken out this way, it's, it's like getting a dishonorable discharge from the Lord's army. And you don't want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian and try to explain to him why you continued in your sin. Why did you go on doing that when he told you to repent of your sin? And you had to be taken out early because of it. You don't want to be in that situation. So when your Christian life becomes more harm to the cause of Christ than it is good, start looking over your shoulder. You may be taken out of this world. Now here's the final point today. There must be polite consideration. Observe the supper after careful personal examination and do it with polite consideration. In verse number 33, Paul says, wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. 
Now, the context of that, of course, is that Paul is talking about the regular meal that they celebrated with the Lord's Supper, and and, uh, they were doing that wrongly as well. But I think there's something in here for us to learn, and that is that the Lord's Supper is a time of total unity for the church. And so we're not here to consider one another's faults. And we don't sit here and look at that person next to us, and I wonder if that guy confessed all those horrible sins he's been into. You don't think about that. We're a time, it's a time of unity. And the Bible says that we are to consider our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul wrote in Romans, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Do you realize that the greatest privilege that you have on earth is to be a part of the Lord's church? You get some special blessings by being a part of the Lord's church. First of all, you get the fellowship of God's people. You get to fellowship with people that are like-minded to you, that have the same faith as you. But you also get to do this. You get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You get to honor the Lord's death. And what a great privilege that that is. So you get to fellowship at the Lord's table. So what is the Lord's Supper to us? It's not the hocus-pocus of somebody changing the body of Jesus or the the bread that we take into the literal body of Jesus. It's not hocus-pocus of changing that, that uh, wine that they take into the little blood of Jesus. I'm going to stop right there. This is not a part of my message, but I have to throw it in. Do you know where the word hocus-pocus came from? Do you know where it's from? It's actually from the Latin that they use in the Catholic Mass. And we translate it into hocus-pocus. That means changing something, doing something sly, on, on, doing something magical. And that's where the word hocus-pocus even came from. This is not hocus-pocus for us, folks. We understand what the elements represent. They represent Christ's body that was given for us on the cross of Calvary, and it represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We don't have to ingest the literal body and blood of Jesus. We do it by faith, and this is what we believe. So if you're not saved today, then I want you to know what Jesus did on that cross. He shed his precious blood to save you from your sins. His body was broken and he suffered for you. His blood was shed on the cross of Calvary that you might be saved. And the Lord's Supper proclaims that truth. And folks, I hope and pray today that you believe that. If you're saved and you're not a member of the Lord's church, well, you can have that blessed privilege of of partaking of the Lord's Supper If you're saved, you can become a part of his church and you can honor Christ's death until he comes again. And then finally, if you are a member of the church, you need to be here for the supper. You need to confess your sins. You need to harbor no ill feelings, no bad thoughts, no unforgiving thoughts for another member of the church. And if you do that, I promise that God will bless you and you'll always enjoy eating at the Lord's table. What a privilege it is. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we so thank you for Jesus Christ who came into this world to save us from our sins. Help us, Lord, to understand very clearly that this Lord's Supper that we take once a month, that that this represents your body and your blood that was given for us. May we trust in that body and that blood, that sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and understand that none of us could be forgiven if it weren't for Jesus dying on the cross for unworthy sinners. Speak to some heart today, to some lost person. They may understand the message. They may understand what Jesus did for us. And then for some other Christian who may not be a member of the church, maybe they need to right now realize they need to become a part of the Lord's church. 
and then for Christians who are here who are members of the church, and yet they've been unfaithful to come and observe the Lord's Supper exactly as you have commanded, I pray, Lord, that you lay that burden on their heart and help them to realize that this is commanded of your people. Help us to see these things today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.